Praise God. First Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to read the text from last week again because this is part 2, even though it could and can be a standalone message if you didn't hear last Thursday night or Sunday, especially Sunday night, then uh, it's okay with you if it's not part two. But the this is a continuation of uh, at least not a duplication of last Thursday night, but a continuation. So First Peter chapter 4 verse 17, for the time has come. That judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved. We really need to let that sink in. Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. You may be seated. Now, there's a lot of directions to go with this, and I went one direction last Thursday night, and this, uh, this tonight is complimentary Again, without being in anywhere remotely close, in my opinion, to be in duplication. But this just come to me and I want to share this with you again. So I'm reading again verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if judgment has begun at the house of God, then everybody else's judgment is not that far behind. So if judgment is, uh, the time has come that judgment must uh, begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, again, this isn't therefore, which is used to make conclusions based on fact. Wherefore is, here's a direction based on what was said. This is a direction. And can I submit to you, it's more than a direction, but it is an indicator of what the church is really going to be judged by. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Uh, Galatians 6 and 9 says, uh, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if, if, conditional, it's qualified, it's not a blank, blanket statement that covers everybody. If we faint not, if we don't get weary, give up and quit. 
Now, the verse implies that whatever it is you're expecting, very likely it's not going to happen on your time frame. Abraham had a promise he waited 25 years for. Israel had a promise they waited 430 years for, then added 40 to it because of their unbelief. The vision God gave me the day that I submitted to come to this city, the last week of August 1970, has not come to pass yet. And this September will be 47 years since we came here. The last week of August will be 47 years since God gave the vision. And if you're on a time frame you'd like to impose on God, you and the Lord aren't going to mesh real good together. Because there's one thing we don't want to consider. But when you look at this book, the timing factor is undeniable. Jesus said to Matthew, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world for a witness, and then shall the end come. I don't want to insult anybody, and I, but I, and since I don't know your position on this, you may have a position, but anybody here that believes that verse has anywhere remotely been fulfilled? Uh, you're serving a different God than me. Because if what has happened up to this point fulfills the verse that the gospel must be preached in all the world for a witness for the, before the end could come, and you believe that's happened already, whew. no wonder you're afraid of the devil because you consider him equal to your weak God. So that's a strong statement. Nah. That's really a kind statement. Because that's not what my flesh would like to say. That's what the Spirit said. That's not what my flesh would say. Okay? So that was kind. So, you, you, you look at the Scripture. I, I mentioned this Sunday. I don't remember which service. The day of Pentecost originally was when the Jews celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, which began the Old Covenant. And the Lord poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that exact day, and He started the New Covenant on the exact day the Jews celebrated the establishing of the Old Covenant. And the book says when the day of Pentecost was fully come. 
And it says of Christ that he was born in the fullness of time. Well, Brother Wright, then it's, it's very frustrating because we keep expecting it right now. Yes. And only those that are expecting it right now, but keep their faith when it doesn't happen right now, are going to be the ones that's going to see it when right now becomes right now. Well, that's frustrating. No, it's a test of your faith. Because you see, from what I feel right here, the first and foremost place where the church is going to be judged in the beginning of judgment is how much you trust God. I've heard it said that faith is what you have from the time a promise is given till it's fulfilled. That period of time is called faith. I believe from one perspective that at least is a definition of faith. Because again, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I love you. I really do. And you found out last Sunday night, Mother's Day Sunday night, that I wasn't just filling up some time. And it took about half that message for you to get on board. And I'm going to teach tonight till you get on board. And if you just have to leave, God bless you. Because I, I've got one of those blessings that Jeremiah had. The Lord said to Jeremiah, I've given you a forehead harder than theirs. So don't look at their faces. You just speak what I say, speak. Because your forehead's harder than theirs. I think I've proved that for 47 years. Okay? I don't mean that. I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm just simply saying to you, if you just come here to show up because you were required or expected to be here, and you're going to put in your time, well, you know what? It would be less disruptive if you just dismiss yourself now. Because when you come to church without expectancy for that service, you came to service without faith. You can't separate expectancy from faith. If you have faith, you have expectancy. If you don't have any expectancy, you don't have any faith. Now, you may view services as just another church service, but I've never been a part of one of those in my life and don't plan on beginning at this point. Because somebody needs to be listening to me. Because judgment, it's not that judgment will begin at the house of God. Judgment has begun. But our problem is, we think judgment is a seat, you know, an angelic jury, I guess, in our fantasy fallacy. And so we think that's judgment. No, but judgment is, is a putting to the test to find out what's really there.
That's judgment. That's why Paul said, if we will judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Some men's sins go before them to judgment. Other men's sins follow after. So if by the word of God and the spirit of God, I let the word of God and the spirit of God judge me where I am right now, and I repent of that sins, I've just gone through judgment for those sins, and those sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ, and they've been sent ahead. But every sin I don't repent of, it's coming after me. I'm going to get there before it. And it's not going to be covered by the blood. I, I just don't get it. I'm sorry. Some folks that believe that once you're saved, you can't ever be lost. So... That means you were a free moral agent till you believed to be saved. And now you're no longer a free moral agent because you can't decide to walk away from God. You're no longer a free moral agent. You were a free moral agent till you got saved, but then you lost your free moral agency. Now, how does that fit with what Peter said about those who were once entangled? Set free, go back into their entanglements like a sow that is washed to her wallowing in the mire and a dog to his vomit again. Excuse me, if you just ate, that might not sound very pleasant. It's in the book. But what does that describe? Does that describe saved people? No, it describes people who were once saved. <laughs> oh, Jesus, have mercy. Oh, some, I don't know who I'm talking to. God bless you. I love you, but I'm telling you right now, you know, you got a problem. I'm going to read it to you again. Okay? For Second Peter chapter 2 verse 19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the service of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after, after, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world... This is Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20, please. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if that doesn't sound saved, then none of us are saved. They are again tangled, entangled therein and overcome. The latter end of them latter end is worse with them than the beginning for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and the word there no speaks of a knowledge not just of intellectual knowledge but of experience they experience the salvation experience they experience the saved life for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again to the sow that was washed or wallowing in the mire. The seed, I mentioned this Sunday. I'm not going to keep talking about what I've already said. Whatever the Holy Ghost wants, that's what I'm going to say. If I said it ten minutes ago or ten years ago. Okay. So, 
So the seed falls on stony ground. And it comes up. It grows. The word is received with joy. And the seed grows quickly. Is that not faith? And yet, circumstances causes that person whose ground, the ground of their heart is full of stones to be offended at the word. They walk away. And of course, those that believe you can't ever be lost once you're saved, they want to deny that person was saved. Wait a minute. The same way the seed grew out of the ground for the good ground, it's the same way it grew out of the ground for the thorny ground and for the stony ground. There's no difference made. It wasn't the seed and its growth that was the problem. It was the stuff left in the ground. Or again, the really tragic one is the thorny ground where there's seeds left in the heart that aren't dealt with. And the person grows and over a period of time, they look like they're doing well. They're being faithful. But then all of a sudden, stuff that was dormant in their life that they'd never acknowledged and never let God deal with begins to grow. And it chokes out the Word so that there's no fruit. So judgment begins at the house of God. I said judgment begins at the house of God. I got a question. Why would judgment need to begin at the house of God if nobody in the house of God can be lost? And it's talking about salvation. For, and, excuse me, if the righteous, verse 18, first, first Peter 4, 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, whatever this judgment has to do of the house of God, <laughs> implies there's some people in that judgment of the house of God that end up lost. Oh, you're making me afraid, brother. How am I supposed to trust the Lord? Oh, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. We're going to cover that. Do you live in fear of your salvation, brother Wright? No. No, I don't. Why? Because you're so holy? No. Because I know what the test is and how to pass it. See, what is the criteria of this judgment? What is the criteria of this judgment? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls unto him or to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. (laughs) What's that really talking about? There's a lot of people who have verbally said they believe in Jesus. Go to church. Believe they're saved. But there's absolutely no indication that they rely in, trust in, 
cling to are submitted to the will, the word, and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do you know that? <laughs> because of judgment. Or as the Lord called it in other verses that I read, I think it was last Thursday night. Uh, based on those that hear and obey the voice of God. And the Lord chastens us. That's not, it's not spanking. It's not punishment. Chastisement is not punishment. It's correction. But how can you correct somebody that won't acknowledge they got anything in their heart that needs correcting? So therefore, my Father, who loves me so much and you so much, uh, purposely allows me to be in situations so stuff that's hidden in my heart that even I am in denial of comes to the surface. What's it say in Jeremiah 17.5? Let's see if that's the verse. Jeremiah 17.5. Let's try that. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departed from the Lord. Next verse. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. Next verse. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and, who, and whose hope the Lord is. Next verse. For he shall be as a tree planted by wa the waters and that spreadeth out his roots by the river and shall not see when the heat cometh. But his leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Why? Because if you're planted by the river of life and you're rooted and grounded in him and you've got access to that river of life, it really doesn't matter what everybody else's circumstances are. Because your connection to the Lord gives you nourishment and hydration when everybody else is dying of thirst. Because they're not by the river of life. And they're not rooted and grounded in Him. And they do not have their roots where they can draw from the water supply of the river. Next verse. And here's the crux of the whole matter. You ready? Cursed is the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Well, what's the separating factor? Here it is. The heart is deceitful. Not the lost. Everybody's heart. Everybody's heart. Everybody's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? Next verse. 
I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Next verse. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to. This is all good. So I'm going to go a little bit farther here. Okay. So here, here comes the problem. And there's very, there's all kind of different tests that comes that the Lord allows. He's not, he, he's not the tester. He's the one who allows the testing and he, he moderates the testing so that it's never more than is necessary for you to see what's in your heart because you don't know what's in your heart and I don't know what's in my heart. The Bible says of Job, he was perfect and upright in all of his ways. It didn't say he's perfect and upright in all of his heart because we find out later. When his kids died, that which I've greatly feared has come upon me. He had fear in his heart. But nothing had brought that fear to the surface. And he hadn't dealt with that fear. So the ways of Job were perfect and upright. But the heart wasn't. And then we find out that he was so sure of himself. And there's a chapter in there where Job describes who he is and how important he is to the people. I mean, he's the, he's, he, he's the second coming of Jesus before there's a Jesus. Read what he says about himself. And he says all that defending himself against the accusation of his three friends. And finally, God says, you going to condemn me that you're righteous? That was in his heart. God wanted to bless Job double. But he couldn't bless Job double till he got the fear out of his heart and the pride out of his heart. But... There was no circumstances that brought either one of those to the surface. And so as long as nothing brought that to the surface, Job was perfect and upright in all his ways. But God loves us so much that he leads us through circumstances. Where what's really in our heart comes to the surface. And here's the problem, my friend. Some people get so disillusioned when they see what's really in their heart. They give up and quit because they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed. So embarrassed they won't repent. So embarrassed they won't get right. So embarrassed, they walk away. Because they wanted everybody to think they were this. And come to find out they were just like the rest of us. But they couldn't handle it. You know what's so amazing? God loved them knowing what was in their heart. But they never loved themselves. The only way they could love themselves was to believe there was nothing there. And when something came up to show what was really in their heart, they couldn't love themselves anymore, so they walk away from God. (laughs) 
Now, I highly recommend that if you'd like to go to heaven, that you listen really carefully to what I'm about to say. The next time you get offended because of a look, because of somebody's words, or their tone of voice, or what you judge their act, the motive of their actions to be, and you get offended because you claim to know what's in their heart and why they gave that look and why they said what they said and why they did what they did. You just set yourself above everybody and made yourself equal to God. And you're offended because you're sure that you know what that person's motive is. But when somebody accuses you and you say, wait a minute, that wasn't what I meant. That's not what my look said. And they don't believe you. You get offended at that. Because you want it both ways. You want the right to, 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 to conclude that you're God and that you know what's in a person's heart. But you don't want anybody doing the same to you. And guess what? I can guarantee it's going to be done to you. Because you're sowing it. So when you get offended at somebody because of a look, because of a word, because of an action, and your determination of what their motive was because that look was against you and that, 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 uh, that those words were against you and those actions, that's against me. That's against me. I'm taking that personal. That's against me. Because you're saying you know what their motive was, what their heart is. You just sowed seed. It's coming up for you. You sowed seed, and it's coming up for you. You sow seed, have interpreted other people's motives, and you're going to reap the crop of other people judging your motives unfairly. Brother, that's pretty strong. Oh, no. No, that's not very strong at all. Honestly. I don't mean that facetiously. I'm telling you right now, that's not strong at all. That's about as gentle as that can be said and make the point with you. It's a little more difficult for me to do today because I haven't been the pastor here officially by title since December the 18th, 2005. And since June the 5th, 2016, the Lord has not let me sense things in the flock to the same degree as before. I didn't choose that, didn't even realize it happened until after the fact. But I'll guarantee you, if the Holy Ghost would choose to do so, and there's not anybody here that's been a while or very long that doesn't, that doubts the Holy Ghost could choose to do that. Where I could go down the row one by one, tell you what your offense is, 
And if we looked at the reason you're offended, 90 times out of 100, it's because somebody did something that you interpreted against you and you took offense. And you just sowed the seed of offense because it's coming back at you the other way. Brother, that's not very encouraging. Oh, it's really encouraging. Because your soul's at stake here. And something's got to happen where we quit playing God. I don't even know what my own motives are. How can I possibly conclude what your motive is? Just because your word or your look or your action, etc. had some kind of negative effect on me. I'm going to conclude because it hurt me that your motive was to hurt me. Only God can do that. Nobody knows my heart. Nobody knows their own heart except God. And in his love and due to his mercy, he, because judgment has begun at the house of God, he lets me walk places through things that cause me to have to decide and acknowledge what's in my heart. And what am I going to do with what I see in my heart? Brother Wright, Brother Wright, I don't believe that God uses people to judge me. Really? Really? No, he never does that. So let's take out all the parts of the Bible where it appears as though he used other humans that didn't even know they were being used to judge you in such a way that what's in your heart comes out. Let's see. Let's start taking stuff out. Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God's got to go to Joshua, that's got to go, Judges, Ruth. Oh, that's right. We'd have to throw the whole book out. Because it's something God has always done. Because you see, here's the deal. The same person that offends... They're being tested whether or not they're going to repent, ask for forgiveness. And the person that's been offended is being tested to see whether or not they're going to offend it. Well, I've forgiven them. Really, really, really. So if their name comes up, you don't get angry. And you don't avoid being around them. Really? Really, you passed that test, right? You've forgiven them, but you can't say anything good about them. And you can't even do what your mama hopefully taught you. If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Now, these days, there's not very many mamas that still teach that. But mamas used to teach that. Some, some time in the last 47 years, there was a situation the Lord put me in. 
I got to be honest with you. I went into it when my eyes opened. I knew the reputation of the person that he connected me with. I knew the talk about them. And I knew people enough, well enough to know there were people I trusted that verified that some of that stuff at the very least was very, was true. And yet the Lord said, work with this person. Lord, you can't, you can't associate with skunks without taking on their stink. Not your problem. And you know what? It didn't take long till everything that was said about that person was proven abundantly true. And I got stuck with the stink. And I prayed. And I, Lord, by your grace, I forgive them. And if you'd asked me if I'd forgiven, I'd have told you, yeah. But I noticed this one day. It didn't happen very often, but occasionally. That person would come up and they'd say, are you still associated with them? And before I knew what I was doing, I was given the story. I was telling the story. There wasn't one thing I said it wasn't true. But I didn't have a right to tell the story. A simple answer, no, I'm not would have been sufficient. But because I was trying to get the stink off of me from the skunk, I found myself telling the story. And the Lord said to me one day, wait, I got a question for you. Has this man ever been a man of God? Yeah. I'm not asking you if he's a man of God now. That's my, that's my determination, not yours. But has he ever been a man of God? Yeah. Have I ever anointed him? I knew where this was going. Yeah. Then, in the stuff you just said to so-and-so, you think because it was true that that wasn't touching my anointed? Saul had, the kingdom had been taken from Saul. And God delivered Saul into David's hands. And David could have taken Saul's life. But he wouldn't do it because the word says, Touch not my anointed. Do my prophets no harm. And yet I found myself defending me and my involvement. And you know what the Lord showed me in that situation? When I finally understood that I was just supposed to keep my mouth shut. That reputation is of the Lord. You know what his reputation was? Illegitimate child. Not only that, he was called a glutton and a wine-bibber. That was his reputation. And he was a friend of sinners when that was one of the worst things you could say about somebody. That was his reputation. Now, biblically, none of those things... Those things were all true to a degree, but they were all true in a way that was acceptable to the Lord. Even if they weren't acceptable to man. And the Lord said to me, the only person you have to be at peace with that knows the truth is me. 
And he didn't quote the old saying, but that was kind of the impression left with me. You don't need to explain yourself because your friends don't need it and your enemies will never believe the explanation. Never. And the problem is, I can't defend me without pointing fingers at somebody else. Judgment has begun at the house of God. Why? Why? Here's why. Because the most, one of the very most critical things that's needed for you to be a part of what God's going to do in the earth and be saved is true biblical trust. You're going to have to be able to trust God. I said you're going to have to be able to trust God. <laughs> what was that? One, two, two amens and a head nod. I, I think that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I could care less. You know I don't speak for, for response. So I could care less what your response is. But I am concerned about what your response is in the spirit to God. So I'm going to say it again. And he knows thoughts and hearts and all that stuff, right? I don't. <laughs> Let me just say it a little different here. How, <laughs> how can I say I trust God to save me eternally? When I can't trust him for the events of my day today. When I can't trust him with my cares today. How can I say I have faith and trust for him to save me eternally. When I'm full of worry, fear, doubt, pressure, stress. How? Oh, brother, right, that's human. You're exactly right. There's another word for it. Carnal. Not spiritual. You know, <laughs> I realize that most of you have not really had the chance to, to observe this firsthand in private very much. And I, I know that. And it's really not possible, you see. But... So you, you, don't, you just have to do with it what you're going to do with it. But <laughs> I have a goal for my faith and trust. I think it's uh, Matthew chapter 17. You look real quick here. Matthew 17. <laughs> Yeah, you can do that. Thank you. Matthew chapter 17, no, verse, chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Matthew 18 and 1. 
At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, to prove to you that Matthew is the only one to use that phrase, of the kingdom of heaven, and that it's synonymous with the phrase kingdom of God, Mark 10, verse 13 says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked them that, they, that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are synonymous phrases because only Matthew in a simple, just a very basic concordance, and you can determine this, Matthew's the only one in the Bible that ever used the phrase kingdom of heaven. No other author or writer in the, new, in the entire Bible used the phrase kingdom of heaven. And that was the case because it is thought that Matthew primarily wrote to the Jews and the Jews were looking for the promised kingdom where Israel would be, would rule, the Lord would rule the world from the throne of David in Jerusalem and they call that the kingdom and we, we call that theologically the, the, uh, millennial kingdom. And they kept wanting to know if the Lord's going to set up the kingdom then. So he had to, to separate for them the spiritual kingdom from the earthly kingdom. So Matthew, writing to the Jews, used the phrase many times, kingdom of heaven, but Mark and Luke, in the parallel passages, used the phrase kingdom of God. But the point I'm trying to get to is this, okay? Except you be converted and become as little children. Oh, Brother Wright, I'm too smart to be a little child. I'm educated or I'm really smart. I got street smarts. You're expecting me to just be childlike in my faith? No, I'm not. I'm sorry, I'm not. I have no expectations for you to become childlike in your faith. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. He does. He does. He expects me to come become childlike in my faith. He expects me to be, you know what that means? I said this this weekend. A little child, you say something to them, they expect you to do what you said. They expect it. They don't even question you're going to do it. <laughs> Hear me. You can believe this whether you want to or not. It really doesn't matter because the Lord knows my heart. He can do, he can do whatever. But here's the bottom line. I am a student of the word. And therefore, I, I'm, I, I'm not critical of the word. I'm not trying to find fault with the word. I believe the word is the word of God. I believe it's the word of God. I don't believe it contains the word of God. I believe it is the word of God. And I, and, and I believe it's supposed to be the final ultimate authority in our lives. And it may not be in yours, but it is in mine. 
And whatever the word says, that's what I'm going to think. And by the grace of God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to argue with God. I'm going to do the best I can and live by my understanding at that moment. But whatever he says, I'm going to do it by the grace of God, regardless of how inconvenient it is for me. I'm not putting myself up here as the paragon. I'm just telling you, this is the goal. And at 71, it didn't have to take this long. I'm a pretty stubborn guy. Okay? I had an addiction, i got to be honest with you. You may not know that. I had really, I was addicted to the worst drug there is. I don't tell it very often because it's very humiliating. I was addicted to religious self-righteousness. It is the most addicting drug there is. Because nothing deludes us more than religious self-righteousness. All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. You know, <laughs> it just cracks me up, really. I, the Lord gives me something like this, and I'm studying it, and it's, boy, this is good stuff, Lord. Thank you. I receive this. This is awesome, the Lord. And I come in here expecting you to respond the same way, and you look at me, and I'm going, what happened between all the joy I had when you gave that to me and the looks I'm getting? <laughs> What happened? Oh, I know. There's war in your kingdom between the one you got sitting on the throne of your kingdom and the one who claims to have the right to sit on the war in your kingdom and on the throne of your kingdom. And you're, and those two are at war. And you can't be happy when you're at war like that. And you don't have peace when you're at war like that. And you, and you have, and you're depressed and you're discouraged and you're full of fear and, and, uh, worry and doubt and stress and pressure because you're at war inside. Brother, right? That's hard. Nah. It really isn't. I thought it was. A long time I thought it was. But the reason it was is I couldn't find any way to get him to accept it with me sitting on the throne even part of the time. I tried. I honestly tried. I tried for years to get him to let me sit on the throne at least part of the time. And if you don't, if you're not gonna let me sit on the throne part of the time by myself, can I at least sit on the throne of my life with you part of the time? And we can negotiate some things. Now, unless he is a respecter of persons, he, he's gonna let you get by that? Okay, but he, he never let me get by with that. Not one time he never let me get by with that. 
I mean, I, I, I've negotiated down. I've told this many times. I really did. I negotiated down. Okay, Lord, I, I'll give you three days a week and the rest of the week is mine. And then it was down. Okay, I'll give you six days a week and one day is mine. And then, okay, okay, okay. I'll give you 12 hours on that seventh day and the other 12 hours is mine. And okay, 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 okay. Can I at least have one hour a week where I make my own decisions? How about one minute a week? The answer was always the same. And see, this is what comes back from a couple of you. Boy, you're wanting to run our lives, aren't you? Aren't you? It is not possible for me to have less interest in running your life. It is not possible. It literally is not possible for me to have less interest in running your life than I have. It is literally impossible for me to have less interest in running your life. Now, I have a lot of interest in telling you the Lord expects that he has a right to run your life. But him running your life and me or this church or whoever you want to claim is running your life. No. No. Are you kidding me? Well, Antioch wants to run my life. No, we don't. No. The doors aren't locked. While we're having church. There may be days you can't get in when you want in. But you can get out anytime you want. There's, there's, no, there's no bars here. We can't take away your free moral agency. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. faith and trust are synonyms you can't claim to have saving faith if you don't trust the father in fact the definition of faith in the Greek it's the trust and rely on, cling to. <laughs> and you, you know what's really amazing? You, you know, you, you give it all, you surrender it all, and here it is, and you may go days, weeks, sometimes months, and it's not even an issue. Every day you're, you're dying out to yourself daily. You're giving it to him every day. And then one day, there's circumstances are such that just something happens and you don't give the same attention to it. And you don't notice a lot of difference that day. But what you do notice is the next day, you rarely go back to where you were the day before yesterday. And because you rarely go back to then... Now you've got two days that very subtly 
flesh is beginning to be in control. The next thing you know, it's a week. And all of a sudden, that place you were in with him, where you gladly, willingly just gave everything, every day give it, I trust you, Father. You are my Father. You're in control. I trust you. That relationship that is absolutely the most awesome, it is truly abundant life. All of a sudden, without consciously, at least it seems that way, without consciously deciding to do it, you've backed away. You've taken a little control here and a little, little more control over here the next day and a little control over here. And yeah. Yeah. Why is this so important? Because of what's coming on the earth, my friend. Because of what's coming on the earth. That's why it's important. Because of what's coming on the earth. There is a great, mighty, unprecedented revival and harvest coming throughout the world. I believe that with every single fiber of my being. But if you think God's going to give that revival without the church being persecuted, without there being any martyrs, and they're already martyrs. I read to you a couple of months ago the study that for two years in a row some independent observation group wherever, out of Europe someplace, I think it was Italy, concluded that Christianity was the number one most persecuted religion in the world. 2015, 2016. There were a couple of hundred thousand people that had died 2016 for their faith in Christ. Hello? Do you think there's going to be a worldwide apostolic revival and harvest in this world? And nothing's going to change for you? Nothing's going to change for the church? (laughs) No. I have lived my whole life to be a part of this. I'm going to share with you just a little bit if I can. There's some of you that know these verses as well as I do, and that's fine. I have no problem. But I want you to know the faith, why, where I get my faith from. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, And from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee. And make thy name great. 
and they, thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee <laughs> shall all families of the earth be blessed. <laughs> now I'm going to acknowledge that this Hebrew word may have a little different connotation to us because in our culture today, while we call our grandparents our family or our grandchildren our family, we pretty much are focused on the nuclear family, mother, father, kids. But even if you interpret family in the broadest possible way, that a family is someone living, no matter how old or young, in a bloodline, that at least one person in that bloodline is going to be blessed with the blessing of Abraham. Now, the average believer looks at that, looks at our world and says, that's not possible. Yeah, I know. I know that's exactly the faith I'm talking about or the faithlessness I'm talking about. So we go to Genesis 12, chapter 22, verse 15. Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven the, the what? The what? The second time. And said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice talked about that last week obeying the voice of God <laughs> I'm not a lawyer know a little bit about the law but I'm not a lawyer but the most uneducated unsophisticated individual in our country who was at the scene of a crime can be put on a witness stand in a court of law and asked to vow that they'll tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And the word of that person, no matter how unsophisticated in the law they are, their testimony of under oath of what they've seen heard, experienced, becomes admissible as evidence that a jury has to consider in deciding the fate of the defendant. Because they were under oath. If the most 
unsophisticated person, when it comes to the law, can give an oath. And that oath could guarantee the validity, the best we know how, of the testimony of that individual to the point that it becomes sufficient evidence or contributes to the significant evidence that would enable a jury to say you're guilty and even to the point in some cases sentence you to death or life in prison without parole. If the oath of an individual is considered that sacred, then you tell me how sacred the oath of God swearing against his own deity should be considered. But brother, right. Nothing's happening from our perspective. We don't see it happening. We don't see it happening. If you put all churches together and counted every person that, that, that those churches claim have, are converted together in our country, and if you counted as broadly as you could, the conversion rate in our country alone isn't keeping up with the growth of the population. Let's don't count the world because the conversion rate in the world is significantly behind the growth of the population. So if you want to look at it with your eyes, naturally with your intellect, I can't argue with you about that. Yeah, you're right. That's the way it looks. But you don't understand something. My father, <laughs> my father promised my father Abraham, the father of all believers, that I am his seed. And I'm going to read you that in a moment. I am Abraham's seed. I am Abraham's offspring. Whatever Abraham is heir to, I'm heir to, according to the, 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 the New Testament. I am Abraham's seed. I'm his offspring. And whatever my father promised Abraham is my promise. But that wasn't enough. The second time the Lord brought this promise to him, he didn't just reaffirm the promise. He swore with an oath against his own deity that he would fulfill his word. And you want me to look at our world and question God? You want me to look at what's not happening in the world and doubt God? You make your own choice. But it's not happening. I don't care how foolish I look. I don't care how many people think I've lost my mind. I don't care. I choose what the Lord says over what man says. And he swore it with an oath. But brother, right, boy, 
things aren't happening right now. I know judgment has begun at the house of God. And in that judgment or that chast- chastening, the Lord's letting us go through things so that what's really in our heart comes to the surface. So that in love, He can deal with that stuff in our hearts. But what are we doing? We're offended with God because our life's not perfect. <laughs> we got pains, we got aches, we got problems, we got pressures, we got trouble, we've got conflict, we got strife, we got dip. oh, we got oh. If you ask somebody to take a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle and say, "Now I want you to write down all of your problems." They'd need a couple of pages. Most of us would. Now I want you to write down all your blessings. Could you fill up one side of one page? Because you see, we're so temporal oriented that we look at all of our temporal problems. And that's how we judge our God and what he's doing or not doing. Because that's the world we live in. Kidding me, right? Now listen to this. I don't have the time, but the Lord swore that that same oath to Isaac in Genesis and swore that same oath to Jacob in Genesis. But now Paul tells us what this is all about. Galatians chapter 3 verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Me, that's me. That's me. And the scripture. Oh, I love this verse. Number 8. And the scripture. Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Wait a minute. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. So how can what was preached to Abraham be the gospel? Easy. Our God who calls those things that are not as though they were and tells the end of a thing before the beginning didn't tell the process of the gospel. He told the result of the gospel at the beginning before the end. That burial resurrection of Jesus Christ is the process of the gospel. But the, but the, the fullness of the gospel, the fulfillment of the gospel, the, the fruit of the gospel, what the gospel was ultimately going to produce was preached to Abraham first. And I'm a child of Abraham by faith. Verse 9. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. But notice what the gospel was again in verse 8. In thee shall all nations be blessed. But I tell you what, let's go back to Genesis 12 and verse 20, in, in Genesis 22. Genesis 12, he said, in thee, speaking to Abraham, all families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 22, he said, in thy seed shall all nations be blessed. And when the Holy Ghost quoted this through Paul, he took both of those and joined them together and said, in thee, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. He didn't leave out 
the family's there. What he just did was show you both of those were equally the promise confirmed with an oath. Well, what is that blessing of Abraham? Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. For Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That, for this cause, for this purpose, so that the blessing of Abraham, get ready, what's about to be spoken is the blessing of Abraham. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the, on the who? On the Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ. What is the blessing of Abraham? (laughs) That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I preached this Sunday morning here. The New Testament began in Acts chapter 2. A testament's not a force until after men are dead. Jesus didn't die till the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Luke, the end of John. They were transitional books, wonderful books. I believe every word of it. But they weren't New Testament books. Because the testator had to die for the testament to be in force. Verse 14 again. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth it or add thereunto. Now we're going to find out a little bit what it means to be confirmed here. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. He just quoted Genesis 22. And in thy seed, singular, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Paul just makes the point here. Verse 16 again, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come. Who is the seed? Christ. Till the seed should come. To whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one. But God is one. And who is the mediator of the New Testament? Of the New Covenant according to Hebrews 9. Christ. Now. I wish I had time to finish reading a little bit there, but I don't have time. Time is flying by here. And uh, some some of you are checking your watch to see if you forgot to change the battery. Uh, It's really okay. I need to read, if I could, please, Hebrews 6, beginning with verse 7. I want you to listen. I'm about to tell you why. I have no fear about what's coming on the earth for me or anybody else. There's some bad stuff coming. But there's some wonderful stuff coming I've lived my whole life for. 
I've lived my whole life to see this. And if the truth was known, if I could be really transparent with you, it would be easy for me to be jealous of most of you. Because most of you are a lot younger than me. And that means you're going to get to be on the field. In December 20, 2005, the Lord moved me from the field to the sidelines as a coach. I didn't like that. I didn't want to be the coach. He made that point really, really well because the next year, no, it wasn't the next year. It would have been, oh, let's see, 40, 96, 2002. 2002, I was 50, I was 56 years old in 2002. The next year, I think it was the next year. Anyway, I quit playing church softball and we had never won a league championship. And I was hanging on to win a league championship. And we'd come so close time after time after time and time after time. Never won one. The year that I got off the field, and became the coach on the sideline. We won. You say, were you happy? No. No, I wasn't. Because the problem is, the Lord was making the point really clearly to me. I didn't call you to be the player. I called you to be the coach. I don't want to be the coach. I want to play. And I look at faces here. What a beautiful mixture of ages we have here. And it's so wonderful that so many of the young are just as dedicated to the old and vice versa. But the problem is, some of you wonderful people that have been around here forever... You don't know what your place is anymore. Are you listening? There's a lot of folks here that God's going to use in a mighty way, but they need a coach. They need a coach. It's a proven fact in sports, major college sports especially, and professional sports, that a good team with a great coach has a better chance of winning than a great team with a poor coach. I'm not trying to justify the fact that he won't let me play anymore. But I can only find my place in him and faithfully do my place in him and count on everybody else to find their place and do their place. And if we all do our part, find our place and fulfill our place, then he accomplishes what he promised through us. So here it is. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 7. I'm going to read quickly at the beginning, please. 
For the earth which drinketh the rain that cometh oft upon it, bringeth forth herbs, meat, uh, for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But they which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name. In that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith in, and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham. Because he could swear by no greater he swear by himself. And if you're questioning what oath God's talk, Paul's talking about here, he tells us, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee. And multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Or he obtained his portion of the promise. He did not obtain the full, full, the fulfillment of what was said in his lifetime, in his sight, in Genesis 12 and 22. But he, he received his portion of the promise, which was Isaac. You ready? Verse 16. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife or debate. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. I, I read this and it just blows my mind. The creator God, as First Peter four nineteen said, the creator God, was so desirous that we would believe his promise. That he went so far as to not just give us his word in promise, but he swore to the create to his creation. He swore to men that he created. They're not his equal. Why would he have to swear to those that are not his equal? We are not his equal. Why in the world would God swear to us? He said what he would do. Isn't that good enough? When the creator God of heaven and earth says to those he created in his own image, I will do this. Shouldn't that settle the whole thing right there? But because God was so desirous of removing all reasonable doubt, he didn't just give his word of promise. He swore with an oath against his own deity that said, if I don't do this, I'm not God. 
Some of you won't even know what this terminology is. That's okay. But I am a pre-tribulation rapturist. I do not believe the church is going through the seven years of tribulation. And I believe I am prepared to defend that position biblically. I'm ready right now. Let's go at it. Okay. But I am not your typical pre-tribulation rapturist who believe that Jesus could come any moment. Because I tell you what, if he came right now, enjoy it. I'm not going. He's an imposter. Because he swore with an oath what he had, what he was going to do, and it hasn't happened yet. And that means, just like Jesus said, a lot are going to, a lot, of, a lot are going to come saying they're Christ, and I'm not following that Christ, because the one I'm following swore with an oath what he was going to do. Hadn't happened yet. Has not happened yet. Has been fulfilled yet. It's coming. Not yet. Hadn't happened yet. That's why I put James 5 and 7 on the screen for me, please. James 5 and 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. And the latter rain happens before the harvest starts. You don't want rain and harvest. It ruins the crop. And the harvest cannot happen. Excuse me. The rapture cannot happen. Till the harvest, the New Testament harvest of the earth is reaped. Every nation, every family is going to have somebody receive the blessing of Abraham. That's the promise. Well, I don't believe it means that. Well, that's wonderful. I, I'm sorry. I Forgive me for being childlike in my faith that I believe he means what he says and says what he means. Forgive me, okay? <laughs> Verse 16 again. Hebrews six sixteen. For men verily swear by the greater an oath for confirmation to them is an end all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that which uh, that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> Brother Wright, aren't you worried about our economy? Brother Wright, aren't you worried about our government? Aren't you worried about all the unrest? Brother Wright, aren't you worried about this? Aren't you worried about that? No, 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 no. What are you, stupid? No. No. 
I just don't believe man's in charge. Not ultimately. I don't believe man's in charge ultimately. I believe God's in charge. And I believe God's going to fulfill his word. I believe God's going to fulfill his word. And that is the anchor of my soul. That is what gives me steadfast, unmovable faith. No matter what comes. Brother Ed, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, I know. And what if the Lord wanted to take the time to bring every individual that ever passed you on a two-lane highway at 60 miles an hour to stand before you in judgment because you trusted them? Well, I, I, I don't know if I can trust the Lord. Oh, so all these people on the highway... There's nothing separating you and them at this little line down the middle of the road. It's no barrier. It's just an understanding. I'd like to live. I hope you want to live. So I'm going to stay on my side of the line. You stay on your side of the line. And of course, I'm not using the tragedy of yesterday as an example because I used this example just this week, a couple of days before that tragedy. But that's the point. This poor, poor man in Cape St. Clair, driving down the highway, headed home. He was going in the direction of Cape St. Clair that had a reasonable right to expect that all sane individuals would be on their side of 50 and he's on his side and he's safe. And you come off the Seven River Bridge and you start up a little slope, you come under the over, overpass and start down. And there, there's a car coming in the wrong direction on the side of the road. And within a matter of about four hours, he's dead. And according to what I heard today, if he had lived, he would have lived without legs. Because his legs were completely crushed. Between his seat and the engine, he was hit so hard. And you tell me you can't trust God? Then don't ever drive again. And don't ever ride with anybody again. Because you don't know what that person coming the other way has been through. You don't know how experienced they are. You don't know if they're drunk or high or overly medicated because of some problem they're going through. You don't know if they're depressed. You don't know if they're angry. You don't know if they're concentrated. You don't know if they're texting. You don't know any of that. But you ride down the road trusting car after car after car to stay on their side of the road. You are trusting your life to people you don't even know. And you can't trust your father. You can't trust your father with your life. Excuse me, I'm not trying to be unkind, but you're a hypocrite lying to yourself. I don't know how you're going to get home safe. You've got no guarantee anybody's going to stay on their side of the road. 
I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to make a point. From this point on to the rest of your life, if you get in a car on a highway where there's other people driving, then you just incriminated yourself for not being able to trust your God that you should know. Well, I can't trust him with everything. Are you kidding me? You're trusting those people coming that direction with everything. Your life, your health. If you got your family in your car, your family. You don't know them. And you trust them. And you can't trust the Father. Or how about this one? Maybe there's people in the building that's never flown before. But i got to be honest with you. Whether I like it or not, I've flown a lot. And let me tell you something I've never done. I've never stopped off at the cockpit door when I was getting on the plane. Can I see your logbook, sir? Can I see your health record? Can I hear some testimony as to how your family's going? Can you tell me what religion you are? Uh, can, would you take a breathalyzer test? Could we check your blood for drugs? Because I'm about to put my life in your hands. But I can't put my life in God's hands. We have people here in the medical profession, and I appreciate you so much. Please don't take this negatively. I appreciate all that doctors and nurses and medical people do. I have been blessed by them, and and I, I'm not against it and don't believe against it. But let me tell you something right now. There is nobody in the medical profession that is God. I have met a few that were playing God, but they're not God. I appreciate the wonderful people that worked with my wife and I when she had cancer. Let me tell you something. I understand with the, the, the litigious society that we live in, that doctors are now in a place where they've got to tell you the worst case. So in case it really goes bad, they don't get sued. But the bottom line is this. <laughs> Ultimately... It wasn't anything the doctors told us that was literally true. Nothing. We accepted that. We understood that. We knew they were doing the best they could and telling us the best they knew. And at the Lord's instruction, we chose to allow them to do their ministry. And I appreciate what they did. And I'm going to trust a doctor. And I'm not going to trust God. Or whether you're going to McDonald's or the most expensive restaurant in town, do you know anything about the people preparing your food? Have you asked to see the health certificate? 
Have you asked to see any kind of assurance that the food has been properly taken care of? No. And you sit there and eat food that you have no guarantee you're not going to get sick and or die from it? And you can't trust the Father? I said, and you can't trust the Father? (laughs) Are you ready? And you stood before a preacher. And you gave your word. And made a vow. And the person you expect to spend the rest of your life with, life with, stood there and made the same vows. And they have always kept their word, right? And there's nobody in this house that's ever been divorced. Because people keep their word. And yet, most people have been, that have been divorced have been married at least the second time. Most. Not ever, but most. The point is this, okay? You're telling me you're willing to take another human being's word that you're going to live with them and you can't take the word of the Father and trust Him? And judgment begins at the house of God. I'm going to read that one more time. It's only two minutes to nine, so I'll take these last two minutes. First Peter chapter four, verse 17, one more time. Hear it carefully now. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, not at those who claim it's the house of God. There's no dispute. It's the house of God. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, the word us included Peter. Peter included himself in this. He didn't say if it had first began at you. Because then you might say, well, they weren't really saved. But Peter included himself in there. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Next verse. For if the righteous, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? We often quit there, but the thought doesn't quit there. Verse 19. Wherefore, based on the two things, the two verses that preceded, wherefore, let them that suffer according To the will of God. Do you trust him? There is suffering that the people of God go through that is the perfect will of God. I didn't write that, but it's the Word of God. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit, entrust, put their trust in, surrender to, give up control to. 
the keeping of their soul to Him. Anybody here trying to be their own Savior? Not me, Brother Ray. Oh, no. No, yeah. You're, you're not trying to be your own Savior, making your own decisions, running your own life. Doing what you think sounds right, looks right, feels right to you. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. And here's, here's, here's who we're committing to. As unto him, as unto a faithful creator. The one that was here before everything else. The one whose plan everything is following and is going to follow. The one who is in charge. The one who in the person of Christ is sitting on the throne of the universe right now. Ruling over the universe. The one who as Christ is the head of the body which is his church which is on the earth. Are you going to trust him or not? That's what the judgment is. The judgment is not whether or not you're doing all the do's and not doing all the don'ts. Because let me tell you something, that person doesn't exist. I don't care who you are. I didn't make that statement to excuse sin, but I'm going to say it again. John said, First John, if you say we have no sin, we're a liar. The truth's not in us. So the judgment is not whether or not I've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and, and done all this perfectly. And never made a mistake. And never had any struggles. And never had any problems. That's not the judgment. The righteous man falleth seven times but gets up again. You know the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? The righteous gets up one more time than he falls. The unrighteous don't. My dad flew in the Navy. He was air crew. So that means he was trusting pilots. And many of which were a whole, whole lot younger than he was for much of his career. And he said to me, Chester, you know what the, you know how do we know who was a good pilot and who wasn't? I kind of thought I knew the answer, but I wanted to hear it from him. He said, a good pilot was the one that had an equal number of successful landings and takeoffs. That was a good pilot. Dear ones, please hear me. I honestly don't know right now when the next time is I'll get to speak to Antioch. The earliest that I can think of standing right here right now is the last Sunday night of August. I'll be in services with you. But I'm not scheduled to speak in any of the services in Antioch. Till then, if I remember correctly, uh, there may be one other situation that I'm not at liberty to bring it up right now. But the point I'm making to you is this. 
The Spirit's trying to talk to us. If you're trying to wait till all your problems are solved and everything is smooth sailing in your life before you give yourself to Him and do His will, never going to happen. John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation or trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're going to have trouble. It's in the book. This is, ne- oh, brother, this is so negative. This is so depressing. No, 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 no. It's only depressing and negative to the person that's trying to run your own life and still claim you trust him. If you've given it up, surrendered, and you got peace, there's joy in this. Blessed. And the word blessed means to be happy, to be envied, joyous. Blessed are they which are persecuted. For righteousness sake. Didn't Jesus say that? Father. I thank you that you know our frame. That it's made of the dust. I thank you that you have not forgotten. That you made us lower than the angels. I thank you that you're fully aware that you put this treasure in earthen vessels. I thank you that you're aware that we have no capability of keeping even the smallest of your commandments faithfully without your grace being the empowering factor within us to enable us to do that because in us, in our flesh, there's no good thing and we're not able to do anything without you. You said, without me, you can do nothing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak the spirit of, and loose the spirit of faith in this place. That every one of us, by your grace, will come to the faith that we will believe that without you we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. So that we will trust you, Father. And submit ourselves to you. Surrender ourselves to you. Have peace in you and hope in you and faith and trust in you. and Live in your spirit and walk in your spirit. Fellowship with you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have spoken your word as you've given it. You have given it. You have empowered it. I have had the privilege of just being your conduit. You are the originator of these words. And by your grace, I have not added to them nor taken away from them. And so therefore, Father, I commit your word to each individual that's here and to you that you would work this out in our lives. That we would come to the place that we would fully and truly trust you. And not just pretend to trust you while we run our own lives or attempt to run our own lives behind the scenes. Help us, Father. Grace, mercy, and peace from you, Father. Be upon every individual in this place and every person that hears this message now or in the future. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By your grace, make us little children when it comes to you.
that we will simply hear what you say and believe it without question and follow it, trusting you to be faithful because you are faithful. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, could we just, could we just love him for a few minutes? You don't have to be, do that loudly. You don't really have to do it audibly. Could, but could you just close your eyes and just for a moment here, could you just tell him how much you love him? Could you express your desire to him that you want to, you want by his grace to, to be able to be judged worthy of him because of your trust in him, your walking with him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Father. I maya makusi ki e kuta hai ela roto lo roto roto bukusi. She se ki e kala rata hai. Ti e kala rota la rata hai. Ti e ki e lo rota la rata hai ela rati e tababasi. Ti e kolo rota la rata hai. Ti e kala rota la rata hai. Ti e ki e kulo rota la rata hai. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and honor and praise you. Jesus' name. Go in peace. Go in safety. Jesus' name. Greet one another. Love one another. Jesus' name. You're dismissed.